So we're going to answer this question this morning, what is the best plan for your life? The answer for that question varies depending on what season of life you're in, I would say. When you were a kid, now we're going to have a response this morning, okay, that is preparing you. When you were a kid, some of you are still kids, uh, what was your plan? What did you want to be when you grew up? Anybody? A what? A volcanologist, like speak, studying Vulcan? Oh, volcanoes. Okay, that, that sounds more real. So, <laughs> oh, okay. She wanted Donny Osmond and got second best over here. Yeah. A movie star. Flight attendant. Anybody else? Wanted to be retired. Okay. Well, Don has realized his goal. He has achieved what he was going for. Some of you may be too embarrassed to say what you wanted to be when you were younger. I'm going to be stuck with that volcanologist all day long, Brennan. Uh, as a kid, I wanted to be the very first NBA star astronaut. That was my goal. Back to, all the way back to five years old, getting my first basketball goal. I wanted to be basketball. I wanted to be an astronaut. And, uh, and that was my plan. Uh, growing up, uh, played basketball, you know. Um, and uh, then I discovered, uh, once I got to a certain height, ast- I don't know if you knew this, astronauts have a height limit. Anybody know that? Astronauts have a height limit. Because apparently when you go in space, your spine expands. And if you're beyond that height limit, you don't fit in the seat on the way home. So I guess astronaut was out, as if I didn't already know that. But (laughs) that's the way I'm going to say it. I couldn't be an astronaut because I grew too much. That's my excuse for not becoming an astronaut. Uh, But I still wanted to be basketball. That was my plan, basketball, basketball. And then I felt like God was telling me to go to a college that didn't have basketball. And I argued with God and fought with God. Some of you have heard this story. And I fought with him for a year on this because I knew where he wanted me to go. And I absolutely did not want to go there. My plan was this other school. I had a scholarship. I was going to go to this other school. I wanted to play basketball at this other school. And God kept telling me, no, this is where I want you to go. And I said, God, they don't have basketball. So off the list. And God said, that, that's not what it's about, man. And uh, so finally, I gave in to what the Lord wanted. At the end of my senior year of high school, um, but by then it was too late to get into the school and to get the scholarships to pay for the school. My dad was a music minister. There wasn't any way we were paying for this school. Uh, but I went to junior college for a year, which is the absolute best plan. Of it, way cheaper, like not even close. So kids, if you're thinking about where to go to school, junior college, absolutely. And we have a great one right here. You can get an associate's degree. The science department is off the charts. There it is. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and so I went to that college. But then I discovered when you obey the Lord, and I should have already known this uh, because I've seen him deliver time and time again growing up, but this was really firsthand knowledge. It really sticks in my mind. When you follow the Lord, he always provides. Because it's, I can still go back 
And I remembered, my dad and I had gone to see uh, an action movie uh, 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 that he really enjoyed. And I, and it was great. I liked it too. And I remember coming in and mom's crying at the table, which mom cried a lot. So it just happened. Uh, and, but she's pointed at this envelope on the table. And in the envelope was a check that paid for my first year of school. God always provides. What's the phrase? Where God guides, God provides. And so listening to the Lord, following the Lord, giving up on my, my plan guided me to a place that I had never even thought of before. And because I went where I went, I went to Dallas Baptist University, I started going to church with my grandparents there in town. Um, and uh, uh, we'd go, after church, we'd get lubies and go back to their house and watch the Cowboys, uh, which was a great Sunday afternoon. <laughs> um, and, uh, but towards this, the end of my college career, I got a job at a church, that church that I went to with my grandparents, which is where my wife, now wife, went to church. We never would have met if I'd gone to that other school in a different part of the state. I uh, wouldn't have our amazing five kids if I hadn't listened to the Lord and given in to the Lord. Uh, after arguing with him for a year, that when you, when you listen to the Lord and follow his plan, things will always turn out way better than you ever thought. If it's further down the road than you anticipate, maybe. But I guarantee you, speaking from experience, it always turns out better. Because God's plan is always better. Because I can promise you, God knows better than you do. He knows better than I do every single time. And as a point of fact, remember my plan was to go to college and play basketball and take it as far as I could? Come to find out after I'd been at that college, Dallas Baptist, for a little while, the year before I went, Dallas Baptist had a basketball team. They had their first nationally televised basketball game. And the team got in a fight on TV. And the president of the university disbanded the program the year before I got there. You know when the program came back? Year after I left. No joke. I, I, my sister went there and she texted me and told me the basketball program was coming back. And I said, of course it is. Of course it is now. Uh, God, when we give in to the Lord, we will see something that we never saw before. So the best plan for our life is always the Lord's plan. So let's look at that in the life of this man. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be down in verse 18. That's where we're going to start. Uh, if you're using a Bible on the pew rack, it's on page 807. <coughs> page 807. And you can take that Bible home with you if you don't have one. You need to have a Bible. So take that Bible home with you. That can be yours. Um, uh, uh, that's when we have them. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, page 807. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, Matthew's phrasing in this verse is very important. Um, we, we talked a couple weeks ago about Mary receiving the news that she's going to uh, give birth to Jesus. And we learned a little bit about betrothal. Um, it was a, I mean, basically, legally they're married, but they didn't live together yet. Uh, Mary would still have lived with her parents. Joseph still would have lived with his parents. But during the betrothal period, 
Joseph's job would have been to either build a room on his parents' house or build a separate house on his parents' property so that he, for he and Mary to live in. And they couldn't be married, or she couldn't come in to live with him until Joseph had finished building. And he didn't know when he was done building until his father told him so. Only when his father said, you're done, then could he go, they make the marriage procession to Mary's house, bring her back, have the ceremony, uh, and then they would begin to live together. And so Joseph is in that process of the building during this time period when they're betrothed, but they're not living together. And, but what's important about Matthew's phrasing here in this verse, it says that before they came together, so before he went and got her, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So the way Matthew says it, it's as though Joseph didn't know that Mary was going to give birth to Jesus. The time when, when Gabriel came to Mary has already happened. And Mary was pregnant, and apparently it became visible, and she was found to be pregnant, and it was discovered that she was pregnant. And talk about a scandal in a small town. That was only a first century deal. It doesn't happen now, scandals in small towns. People don't talk now like they did then, right? <laughs> yeah, I heard that. Uh, they, they, this rumors were spreading, all kinds of stuff, and it wasn't just rumors about Mary. Rumors about Joseph's reputation were spreading too because Joseph is married legally to Mary. They're just betrothed, so they're still separate, but rumors are spreading about both of them. And he's trying to process all of the feelings that would be going on within, within him at that moment. And so look at verse 19. After her husband Joseph, being a just man, that means righteous, and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. There's, there's more important words here, but the key, key word is that word resolved. He resolved to divorce her quietly. He resolved. That means to plan to do it, to intend to do it. Now, in many ancient Jewish groups in this particular time period, when there was adultery, divorce was mandatory. Like, it wasn't an option. There wasn't an option for restitution or restoration. Uh, like, it was mandatory. Some, some actual Jewish groups believed that the act of adultery just uh, uh, broke the marriage contract. So there wasn't need for any other legalese or any other things. Like, it was over at that point. You can hand her the paper. In this case, if Mary, in Joseph's mind, committed adultery, he would hand her a paper of divorce. They didn't have to go to court. It was done. And so they had the option of doing this in a public forum where everybody could see. They would invite the community. It would be a whole big deal. Or they could do it, the law allowed them to do it quietly with just as little as two witnesses to sign the paper. And Joseph it says in that verse, being a just man, being a righteous man, didn't want to put her to shame. So in his mind, he was going to do it quietly on the DL. Just a couple of witnesses. He didn't want to put her to shame. He didn't want to make her feel worse, maybe, than he thought she already felt. Um, even though in his heart, he would have felt heartbroken over this. You know, some people think back then that uh, this was all, you know, prearranged, just the parents were involved, but what history tells us is in the first century, yes, the parents helped arrange the marriage, but they asked the, the 
kids who were getting married, they asked them first. So it wasn't solidified until Joseph gave his okay and Mary gave her okay, kind of a deal. And so Joseph, anticipating the marriage, he's, he's been putting all this hard work into building their home, and this happens. Talk about the heartbreak. Talk about think, him thinking, I can go back in the room now and tear it all apart. Because if I end up getting married again, get betrothed again, I'm not going to bring my new wife into, into what I built for the old wife. And so all this is going on, and he, he resolves, he plans to divorce her quietly. That's his plan. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph... Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So again, there's another important word. He considered these things. So he resolved before, he planned, and now he's considering. That means to think, to, to reflect that these things are just rolling over in his mind and he falls asleep and the Lord appears to him in a dream, which seems to be a common thing with Joseph because this happens multiple times. When, when Joseph is going to take Mary and Jesus and escape to Egypt when they're going to kill all the babies in Bethlehem, the Lord tells him in a dream. When he needs to return back to Israel because Herod has died, the Lord tells him in a dream. And this is the first instance of those, those dream messages. And the Lord appears, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream. It says, Joseph, son of David. Now that's a title, son of David. It's a title Joseph probably wouldn't have used very often. Because it's a title that, that is about royalty. Saying you have royal blood in you. And they knew from the prophecies that one of the descendants of David would be the Messiah. Was the promise that he, that, that, that descendant would sit on the throne of David and rule as king again. And so this angel shows up and issues Joseph this message, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, and he uses Joseph's official title that nobody uses. Kind of like nobody may call you your full name except your mother, kind of a deal. Like my name is Joshua. Nobody calls me Joshua. My mother calls me Joshua. That's about it. Somebody calls me Joshua, I think I'm in trouble, kind of a thing, you know what I mean? And... The angel comes and says, Joseph, son of David. Oh, I'm awake now. Who is this? What's going on? He says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph, remember again, he's been processing all of this, thinking about all of this, reflecting on all of this, and it's just been reeling in his mind. As, as things tend to happen, when plans don't go our way, we try to process and think through every possible scenario and how things should go and the way things could have gone, and it's all flowing through our minds just like it is Joseph. It's all flowing through his mind, and then the angel comes and says, stop all that considering. Here's your plan of action. Stop your fear. Take Mary as your wife. For this is God's plan. Toss your plan, follow God's plan. We already know Joseph is a righteous man. It tells us that. Joseph is a righteous man. And then, verse 21, when the angel says, She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means God saves. The Lord saves. 
He will save his people from their sins. And now this description is very important. Because the most common first century teaching was when the Son of God shows up, when the Messiah shows up, he is going to uh, raise up an army and deliver Israel from the Roman occupation. But the angel comes and says, no, that's not what he's doing. He's going to come and his primary function will be to save the people from their sins. That's his job in coming to this world is to save their people, save the people from their sins. So Joseph hears this. Uh, verse 22. Angel keeps talking. All this took place. Oh, no, this isn't the angel. This is a note from Matthew who wrote this down uh, for his readers to read and kind of get uh, some background info. He says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we already, we already know his name's going to be Jesus, which tells us what he's going to do, God saves. And then we find out his name is also going to be called Emmanuel, which tells us who he is, God with us. And because God is with us, God saves. And that if God were not with us, if, if Jesus did not come among us and die, then we would not have salvation. He's coming, God with us, as Emmanuel, to die, Jesus, to save us from our sins. Which was also a prophecy in Psalm 130, verse 8. He will save the people from their iniquities. Redeem them. Uh, Verse 24, Joseph wakes up. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. So Joseph wakes up, and it says there, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. So he obeyed God. And he went and he took his wife. So you got to understand, again, the process. Before he can go and bring Mary into his house that his father would have told him is not ready yet, he's got to go to his father and say, this is what's going on. The Lord just appeared to me in a dream. This is why Mary's pregnant. His parents would have known. Small town. This is from the Holy Spirit. So he would have said to his father, so I am going over there today and bringing her into our home. So his father has to be on board with this because they're bringing Mary into his house. And so it would have been not only was Joseph faithful to the Lord, Joseph a righteous man, but his parents would have been believers too, listening for the coming of the Messiah. And so Joseph explains all of this, gets, has to get the approval from his parents, and then he goes over there. They do the whole marriage processional. I mean, it's a whole process. I mean, you've got to get people. You do the whole thing. And so they get all this, and it says he obeys the angel, the word of the Lord from the angel, and he goes over there, and he brings Mary to his house. He took, her to, he took his wife. That's what that means. He takes her from her parents and brings her to his house that he's built. He's in the process of building. No telling how much he still had to do. I mean, have you ever lived in the middle of a renovation? Kind of a deal. That's probably how they were, right? Uh, uh, living there while Joseph is, is finishing up what he's doing. So we learn about Joseph. He is, he's faithful. He's righteous. He's kind and not wanting to, to put her to shame. He's submissive to the Lord and he's obedient. He's obedient come what may. He chooses to follow the Lord's plan over his own plan. He abandons his plan because the Lord said, do this. And so he went with the Lord and wanted to do what the Lord had for him to do. 
And so when you're faithful, when you're following the Lord, you're willing to give up anything for God's plan. You believe that God's plan is better than your plan. And so you're going to follow it no matter what. No matter what, for Joseph, the people would stay in town. Because there was a lot to take in for Joseph, right? The rumor was Mary had committed adultery and gotten pregnant. And what that means in the Jewish culture then was that Mary was unclean, was impure. And so Joseph had to, according to their culture, divorce her. Otherwise, just it would be guilt by association. He would be impure. He would be unclean. And he could not then go and worship the Lord in the temple, in the synagogue, because he would be unclean. And so for Joseph then to listen to what the Lord is saying, rather than what his culture had been teaching him, was to say, I don't care what anybody says about me. He's saying, I would rather be right with God and everybody think my reputation is in the toilet than the other way around. And so he listened to God. And there's no telling what people said about him. That's why, I mean, it's not there. But you can only imagine what they said about Mary and what that said about Joseph, bringing someone that the community thought was unclean and impure into his house to be his wife. But Joseph said, this is of God. And I'm not about to step in front of what God has to do here. I'm going to be a part of it. If this is, this is the Messiah, then we're going to do this thing. And so he brings Mary into his house to follow God's plan. Because the best plan is always to follow God's plan. The best plan is always to follow God's plan. We may not see how it plays out. We may not understand it in the moment what's going to happen and what's going to lead to this and going to lead to that and going to lead to this and going to lead to that. But God's plan is always best. So the best plan is always God's plan. Every single time. We can try to think up as many plans as we can. Could I have a backup for the backup for the backup? But we got to toss it all out when God tells us what to do. And the thing about that is, is until God tells us something else to do, we got to keep doing the last thing he told us to do. And so if God's plan is the best plan, then we have to keep doing the last thing he told us to do until he tells us something new. Otherwise, we're going to end up like Abraham chasing Hagar and having all kinds of trouble. When we're waiting on the Lord and we're trying to, trying to do something he didn't tell us to do and trying to force a situation he doesn't want to be forced and he's already told us what to do and we're getting tired of doing it because it's been year after year after year and you're saying, God, I'm ready for something new. I'm ready to do something else. I'm ready to go here. This is too hard. God said, I didn't tell you to do anything different yet. You just keep at it. Keep at it. Keep going. You keep doing the last thing he told you to do until he tells you to do something new. I don't know if you've ever jumped the gun on what God would have you do. I have, and it's terrible. It's terrible. Now, it's not like in a race. Like in a race, if you jump the gun, you're disqualified. You're not disqualified from serving the Lord. But what he is going to, to accomplish may be different because you tried to do something he didn't want done. And I've done that, and it's not a good situation, ever. And so you keep doing the last thing he told you to do until he tells you something new. Because when he tells you to do that new thing, it's time. And things are going to start moving in a way you never anticipated. 
And so if you're going to be faithful to the Lord, you listen for him, you follow him, because his plan is always the best plan. What's that thing that, that we've said here many, many times? God is in control. God has a plan. God's plan is good. God is in control. God has a plan. God's plan is good. Every time. God is in control. God has a plan. God's plan is good. You see, the thing about Joseph that I love we don't know a lot about him at all, at all. I mean, beyond Jesus as a child, we don't hear from him, and so most scholars believe that by the time Jesus is an adult, Jesus, that Joseph is dead, which we can surmise that because at the crucifixion, Jesus being the oldest, it would have been his responsibility to care for his mother, and he takes that responsibility and gives it to John, the apostle. And so by then, Joseph is dead because it would have been Joseph's responsibility, and so it's because it's Jesus's to, to, to pass off that he does. Joseph is gone by that point. All we know about Joseph is that Joseph was some kind of carpenter and that Joseph was faithful to the Lord. That's all we know about him. He was some kind of carpenter and he was faithful to the Lord. Irregardless of what people said, irregardless of how hard it was, he would hear from the Lord time and time again and he did what the Lord wanted him to do without hesitation, without resistance. You see the Lord tell Joseph something, and the next sentence you see Joseph do it. And so if there's anyone to emulate, almost everyone in the Christmas story you, you to em, emulate except Herod, don't, don't copy him. You want to copy Mary's humility, Mary's strength. You want to copy Joseph's faithfulness and dedication to God. Listening to what the Lord said, following after what the Lord told him to do. God's plan is the best plan. He's in control. He has a plan. His plan is good. And his plan for all of us, his plan for every single person he's ever created is to believe in Jesus and allow the Spirit to change us from the inside out. God's plan is the best plan. And so today, at Christmas time, wherever you find yourself spiritually in your journey with the Lord, do you need to know Jesus today for the first time? Believe in Jesus for the first time. That he came to this earth, lived here. Then he died so all of our sins would be forgiven. And then he rose from the dead so we can live after we die. Do you need to believe in that today? Maybe you need to, it's time for a change in your life and you need the faithfulness of Joseph. You need to allow the Spirit of God to change you from the inside out because you've been so committed to your plan, so, so uh, focused on your plan. You've got blinders on to everything else. And when the Lord comes and whispers something to you, you're like I was, and you're arguing with God day after day after day, saying, absolutely not. That is not in my plan. I don't want that. I'm going to keep doing what I want to do and keep going where I want to go, and I'm not going to listen to you, God. I'm going to keep doing what I got. Maybe it's time to give that up and listen to the Lord. Will you listen to God today? Believing in him. Following after him. See, we're, in just a second, we're going to do the Lord's Supper, the communion. And this holds great significance for those who believe in Jesus. If you don't, this is just a little cracker and juice. It's not going to do much for you. But for the believer, 
holds significant, great significance, especially at Christmas time, as we celebrate Jesus' coming, coming to do what we are going to be talking about. He came at Christmas to die at Easter. So will you believe in Jesus today? Believe in Jesus today. Everybody bow your heads. As we get ready to take part in the Lord's Supper, we need to get our hearts right with the Lord. And if there's anyone in the room who has yet to believe in Jesus and you feel the Lord speaking to you right now and you want to believe in Jesus, nobody's looking but me. If you want to believe in Jesus, look at me right now. If you've been arguing with him, putting it off, look at me. You've been thinking about it. He's been talking to you. If you need to make a change in your life, in your heart, to follow after his plan rather than your own, speak to the Lord right now and say, God, I, I, I need to give up on that. I know what you would have for me. And follow after him. Listen to him. Y'all pray with me. God, we thank you for your commitment to follow after, uh, to pursue us, to have us follow after you. You came to earth, you lived here, you died here, you rose here to bring us to that point of salvation. knowing there's no amount of good stuff we can do to get us into heaven, knowing the only way to heaven is believing in you. As you say in Scripture, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Not, you don't say believe and do a bunch of good stuff and then you'll be saved. You just say believe and then you will be saved. God, I pray that if anyone in this room or watching online has yet to believe that this would be their moment, they would believe, believe in you. You tell us on the last page of the Bible that we need to come to you. God, I pray that they would come today. Believe in you. I pray that we would all be changed by you. That our interaction with you would change us. Make us into who you designed us to be. Fully committed. Fully faithful like Joseph. Obedient to you. Living our best life because our best life is following your best plan. God, help us follow you today. In your name I pray. Amen. You see, we're talking about following the Lord's plan. What's the best plan for our life? And really, the Lord's Supper, it's an admission that the Lord's plan is the best plan. Because it's saying, when we take the Lord's Supper, I, I, I want to follow after what God would have of me. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
You proclaim the Lord's death. You, you declare the gospel. That's what Paul is saying. Partaking of the Lord's Supper. You know, it's a, if, if, you, if you're unfamiliar, you eat something and you drink something. You're eating something, as Jesus did at the Last Supper before he died just a few hours later. You eat something, and that represents the breaking of his body. That represents his death. That's what that is. Him dying so all our sins are paid for. And then we drink something, in this case grape juice, and that represents his blood. You see, because what salvation is, what the gospel is, is what's called a covenant. And a covenant is greater than a promise, it's greater than a contract. A covenant is a guarantee from God. And the only way that a covenant can be ratified, can be put in place, is by the spilling of blood. Many times in the Old Testament when a covenant was established, there would be an animal sacrifice. An animal would be sacrificed. At one point with one particular covenant, uh, they, they sacrificed the animal and, pull them and, and set them in rows, uh, uh, the two sides of the animal, and they walk between the animal as though they're saying, May, what happened to these animals happened to me if I break this covenant. Honestly, that, that's the idea of a wedding walking down the uh, center aisle is the same kind of idea of the covenant walking down the middle. And, and uh, that's why, how, why that was established that way. But when Jesus died and spilled his blood, that's one death for all time. So no more sacrifices had to be made. No more uh, of that had to be done because Jesus paid for it all. And so when we drink the juice, that is re that, that's reminding us of the covenant. It's once for all time. It's a covenant that cannot be broken. You know, many of the Old Testament covenants were dependent on God keeping his word and the people keeping their word. And every covenant that was dependent on God and people was broken because the people failed every time. But when Jesus came along, this covenant is completely dependent on him. Completely. And so this covenant can never be undone. It can never be done away with. There's no bad you can do to undo what Jesus did. It's a once-for-all-time commitment. You believe in Jesus, the covenant's established, and he's got your heart forever. And so when we drink that juice, that's reminding us of the covenant. The promise he made to us to follow after him, to be with him because he's always going to be with us and never let us go. And so when Paul writes, as, far, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, which is why he came at Christmas to die, to raise, to demonstrate, and us partaking of the Lord's Supper, we demonstrate the gospel. That's what that is. The breaking of his body, his death, the, the, the drinking of the juice, it, the establishment of the covenant of guaranteeing us eternal life. We're declaring the gospel when we take the Lord's Supper. Which is why Paul says what he does next in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 11. He says, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. A dishonorable way to take the Lord's Supper 
is in a mocking fashion. Is as a believer saying it has absolutely no significance for me. Which is saying because the Lord's Supper represents the gospel. It's not just it's not dishonoring the cracker, it's not dishonoring the juice, it's dishonoring the gospel because that's what this is. This is a demonstration of the gospel. And so when we, when we take it in an unworthy manner, when we take it in a dishonorable manner, in a mocking way, in a, in a disrespectful way, in thinking that the gospel really has no impact is what we're doing when we do it in that way. He's saying, that's what Paul says in this verse, speaking specifically to those in, first, in, in Corinth, the city he's writing to there, they had experienced this. People had been weak and people had been sick and some of them had died because they didn't care one iota, honestly, about the gospel. Uh, they used the Lord's Supper back then. It was a big, huge meal. They used it as an opportunity just to come and, and have everybody think they were holier than other people. And they came to eat as much as they wanted because it was a big meal. And they didn't come with the proper attitude of, I'm demonstrating the gospel here. And Paul says, that's why some of you are, are reaping physical ramifications for spiritual mess-ups, man. This is a big deal, the Lord's Supper. Because the gospel is a big deal. Because what the gospel is, is Jesus dying for us to live. So the Lord's Supper is a big deal because he died for us, for, because of our life. Because our lives matter to him. And so we take it as an opportunity to remember what he did for us. And so in the same regard, though, when you eat the cracker and you drink the juice... Don't be scared like God's going to strike you down right now because, you know, you yelled at somebody in your house this morning. Like, that's not the way God works. He doesn't work that way. Um, what Paul's specifically talking about in that 1 Corinthians 11 passage, it's about dishonoring the gospel in our hearts in what we're doing. So do you love the Lord? Are you following the gospel? Do you believe the gospel? and you want to live it out as best you can, then taking it's not an unworthy manner. And in the same thing, though, if you're in the room and you're not a believer, and you take this as we pass it around here in a sec, that scripture doesn't apply to you. Because Paul's writing to believers there. You're not a believer. For you, you're just eating a cracker and you're drinking some juice. And it's just a little swallow of grape juice, so you're going to be really thirsty after, but it's not going to do anything for you. Because it, it doesn't hold any meaning for you. But for the believer, it holds all kinds of meaning. All kinds. Because it's representative of what he did for us. He died for us to live. And so at Christmas, we celebrate him coming to die. Him coming to raise. You know, I heard a preacher this morning, deeply convicting sermon, talk about, sadly, Many believers are quicker to celebrate him coming and do a more, make it a bigger deal to celebrate him coming than they do him dying. When the whole reason he came was to die. He came to the, to the manger to end up at the cross. As a believer, we need to spend every day celebrating both. Because if he didn't come, there wouldn't be a death. So we celebrate Christmas because he came so we, we can live forever. 
We celebrate him dying and raising, so we can't have eternal life. It's a combo deal. Two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. And so we should make as big a deal about Easter as we do about Christmas. A month-long build-up of celebration. Maybe we should have Easter trees. I know some of us have trees in our houses year-round. I don't see her right now. <laughs> uh, but we need to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord. And so what we're going to have now, the deacons are going to come. And we're going to take part in the Lord's Supper. And we use these cups that have a little top flap that has the cracker. You peel back the top flap. And then it's got a second flap for the juice. And uh, we're going to, uh, Jonathan and I are going to take this off and, and, and we'll pass these out. And then as we get this ready and hand these out to the deacons, you guys get your hearts ready for this moment right now.
Go ahead and pull back the top flap there. Take out the little cracker. And he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I'll take that second flap and fold that back. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Y'all pray with me. God, I thank you. I thank you for you coming. You coming at Christmas, you coming the reason we celebrate you coming to live and die and raise God I pray that our lives will be exactly what Paul says this Lord's Supper is a demonstration of the gospel pray our lives will be a demonstration of the gospel in how we talk in how we act in how we react We would live for you, having been transformed by you. And we would be used by you in every element of our lives. God, I thank you. Thank you that you came. Thank you that you did die for us and you raised for us according to your plan to bring us to salvation. God, I thank you for this church, the people you planted here to be a part of what you would have done here in Southwest Arkansas. Help us to continue to walk in faith with great strength for your purpose and your glory. In your name I pray, amen.